College Varsity Esports, once a rarity, now common on the campus. Hi, I'm Captain Z, and I am with Mark, who played for the League of Legends esports team at Minnesota State University. Hi, Mark, thank you for, for being here. I know that you are better known in the scene as Wicklebear. And um, how's, how's the esports scene treating you? You still playing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely still playing. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, I graduated a couple years back, so since then, definitely still involved in playing in some some of the amateur circuits at a high diamond level. I'm currently D1 still, so working on stuff, and it's about to be preseason, so nothing too much going on at the moment. A little bit of a break, which is nice. That's very nice. D1, a lot higher than I got, my man. I was just a plat peasant. <laughs> Could not reach the diamond gates myself. But, um, yeah, very cool. I'm going to and everyone with just some background information i'd like to focus a little bit on how esports has grown in general um as well as the um the college level for the for the varsity teams and such and then we'll kind of get right into it we'll we'll share into um your experiences on the team and we'll have some cool conversation but uh just to throw some stats out because a lot of the people that i talk to about esports they're always quite shocked like at how big esports you know um has become they almost scoff and be like oh what are you kidding me you know like you've got players making how much and you know they're, they're shocked it's at a global level at this point and that colleges are actually you know giving scholarships out and such to um to their players so just to give a quick comparison uh you take the 2020 super bowl for example and that had an average minute audience of 3.4 million and you take the record number from the 221 Free Fire World Series, which was in Singapore, and that was on an average of 5.4 million, followed by the 2019 League of Legends, which was at 3.99 million. So we're talking about a comparison here to the greatest stage for American football, which is the most popular sport in America. And you have esports competition that is either rivaling or exceeding that, you know, and if we're not just talking about football, um, there are other sports in America that the numbers are substantially lower. They're not even close to the football numbers. So just to put things into perspective, like at how big this has become, whether you like esports or not, whether you follow it or, you know, think it's legitimate, you know, this, this is already a thing. It's not going anywhere. It's big. Another thing I wanted to touch on is the three types of investors for esports. And real quick for you, Mark, did you um, did you have any investors that contributed to like your equipment or your jerseys or anything at the university? So the time, I guess, just to give some context here, the the years that I played for the team was uh, 2015 through 2018. So three years on the team then, and that was. I would say relatively early on in kind of like the lifespan of kind of collegiate esports, where obviously still incredibly you know new. So, uh, but but things you know changed a ton during that time, and uh, at the time it was extremely sporadic, depending on like which kind of universities we're talking about and kind of the level of backing that different clubs and teams got from them, whether they even considered an official team or not, or just club kind of interest type of deal. Um, so during my stay there, we did not directly receive uh, a lot of the type of stuff you're talking about in terms of being a team. There was some stuff we got just from being a university club where we got some travel expenses covered from some of the competitions we went to. But that's kind of stuff that any other club kind of apply for. It wasn't necessarily because we were the League of Legends team. Uh, but even since then, since I left and, and you know still staying in contact now, that has kind of exploded and, and is definitely more of a thing now than it was when I was there. Yeah, most definitely. And um, the three sponsors are, um, that I had mentioned, just real quick, a lot of NBA teams um, for like tra traditional esports teams that are uh, contributing to the scene, as well as corporate backers like, you know, Coca Cola, Red Bull. There's plenty of other examples. You see them, you know, plastered all over the place on the jerseys, on um on the interfaces at the events and even celebrities are 
are contributing to this scene, even if it's not for a specific team, just like you know these esports group um, groups or organizations, they they've definitely contributed a lot of money towards it. And um, just the amount of advertising alone is is just insane, you know, especially at a global level where you're not talking about just the United States. You know, you're talking about, you know, Asia where it's huge as well as, you know, just anywhere else, Europe. So. And you mentioned um, 2018 is when you graduate, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And. Just, you know, going by the numbers here, um, like you said, that was actually in the very early stages. It had um, jumped from only seven universities that had an esports team. Um, in 2016 to 63, 2018. Now, in uh, 2021, I I don't think I have an exact number, but I'd say it's close to 200. There are two, um, to my knowledge here, it's 175 that actually participate um, in the National Associated Association of Collegiate Esports, and they have you know their own coaching staff. They've got scholarships. Um, did your university offer you a scholarship? No, no, that was, uh, I'm sure not even on their radar. They didn't even know things like that existed at the time. So no, and I think I, I only ended up joining the team my, my second or third year at college. So it's not like I was recruited or, or specifically went there, you know, for any type of scholarship. Well, cool. Yeah, it, it definitely had time or, um, it needed some time to build up. Uh, like you said, I think you were right on the cusp of when it, of when it uh, exploded and, and things became um, a lot more popular. But uh, just like another kind of interesting point is that you have these universities where all they really need is like a vacated room, right? To turn into their kind of like esports room. They don't really need to spend all this money on a new stadium or anything like that. Nothing insane. And um, we're talking scholarships what is actually kind of cool um since you know the life of a of an esports player is kind of short-lived you you would say they're typically you know 27 to 28 is around the time that they would retire um th there have been exceptions of course but i think it's rare if you actually hit 30 you know like in an esports scene regardless of what game you're playing but they have kind of like the reverse take where you might necessarily um, if you decide to go pro, you could have a scholarship that allows you to come back after you're done, you know, being a professional and, you know, get your education, which I think is pretty cool. They've got these, they've got these things available now. Um, yeah, I think there's examples. I remember hearing of at least four or five definite like ex-LCS pros who retired and then actually went back to school and got a scholarship and played on the teams to kind of finish their education and stuff. That's definitely something that's becoming more common now and it's kind of awesome that it's helping kind of bridge that gap where like currently if you're of a level of potential where like you know you could potentially go pro it's like that's something that's a very narrow window and you kind of just got to go for it at that time and a lot of players kind of end up forgoing like the standard education path most people would for how old they are and then that potentially becomes a problem if they have a two or three year career and now they you know are 22 23 something and then they have like one or two years of college and they're kind of in some kind of weird limbo state and early on that was kind of a uh, i know difficult for a lot of ex-pros in terms of lifestyle and and what kind of to do next at that point yep definitely and um what, what was your facility like did they did they provide a nice facility for you quote unquote was how how was the room how was the equipment so it was so i i guess just to kind of go with the the origins of me kind of joining it was hmm. like i don't want to say not an official team but the team that i joined and was kind of fielded while i was there is like i wouldn't call it an official school team in where you would think of like a football team or you know even some you know like ultimate frisbee or some like not the super top end famous sports it was kind of like there was a league of legends club for the school that i just joined initially out of interest because it was a hobby that i had and then that club fielded a team to participate and compete in the you know higher levels of competition that other schools and clubs and teams did as well. But it was kind of fully driven and generated by 
the students who created and ran that club and not really uh, ran or monitored in any way by the university officially. So our kind of our status was just that of, I, I think most universities have kind of like club programs and they can be recognized and they can get like a faculty advisor and they can maybe get some funding and things and participate in kind of some like voting voting stuff for clubs as a whole. But it's kind of like a separate status from being a school team. And so that's kind of the position we were in where we were kind of just seen as a club and we were kind of doing our thing. But it's not outside of very specific things that fit within like a structured pre-written format for what kind of support clubs could get. We definitely didn't get any sort of special treatment or, or any, you know, specific gear for you know computers mm. or gaming or anything because that wouldn't really apply to other clubs so the most we could do in terms of facilities is you know we could rent out different rooms in different uh you know conference rooms or areas that other clubs could for as well so we could use things for that if we wanted to have a room to play in for our official games or if we just wanted a big like land party or things like that but it was it was not something that's like provided in terms of like hey you're our team here are things that we're giving you you know I gotcha. And you know what? That kind of contributes to what I said earlier, where I don't have an exact number because I feel like those 175 are like by the book funded teams. And like you said, there could very well be clubs all over the country that are just student run and, you know, um, being able to compete. And, um, you know, even if there's no facility, just, you know, use their own equipment, you know, whatever, whatever you need. Yeah, kind of on that topic, actually, um, one of my first years, either my first or second year, so 2013 or 2014, um, at that time, I, I don't remember exactly, um, there was a very, very few amount of universities in the country that actually had official teams and fielded scholarships and recruited challenger players and things like that. Mm. Um, I think Robert Morris University was one of the very first famous ones that had, like, articles written about it because they actually provided facilities and scholarships and recruited challenger players. They were one of the first famous ones. Um, and that year, our team uh, went pretty far in the official ULAW tournament, which was run by Riot at the time. There's a couple of different things, some run by Riot, some not officially at the time. And the Riot official we participated in, we were doing pretty well in. We got, I think, to like top eight or four in the northern region. And so we got to a point where uh that official like next playoff game we were playing in was for scholarship money provided by riot so if we had won this next series we were going to play in um i think each player would have gotten like five thousand dollars scholarship money from riot which was definitely like a very big step for us because previously everything we competed in was like um yeah i mean the scene back then like you're winning like land tournament prizes that come from sponsors you get like red right. bull and mouse pads and you know it's stuff yeah. that's maybe not necessarily direct money um, and it's at more that like point, just for you know, fun at that point, and you just yeah, you get some a goodie bag of stuff if you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we were really hyped to to get to that point and have that opportunity, and then we kind of ran into one of the teams, one of like the three in the country I was aware of that had that similar type of program. It wasn't Robert Morris. It was, it was one of the Columbia colleges, not like the Ivy League Columbia, but you know, there's a couple that have like Columbia in their name. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but they were they were one of the two or three famous in the country that had that type of program. So we played against a full challenger team. They had all the, the facilities and everything and coaching staff and they were completely buttoned up and, and a full team and they man, they just stomped us. It wasn't even it wasn't even close. We had no chance. Um some of the quite a few of the players on that team I think, you know, went on to do other things. I think we played against Mr. Stumpy who was uh one collegiate one year and he was in Academy for LCS for a while, I think. Nice. Um and so that was that was like the very first time we actually ran into a university or team that had that kind of program and it was it was really kind of staggering kind of the, the difference in how like out of out of uh their league we felt and, and since then it's kind of become way way more common where you know not necessarily at that level obviously you're not gonna have hundreds of university teams that all have full challenger teams right. but now it's very common where i'm still active in the amateur team so in all the different kind of discord forums and you know if you look at recruiting boards and stuff for people looking for and joining teams um, there's plenty of recruiters and people in there who are recruiting for colleges and offering scholarship money. And if, hey, if you're above this rank and you're, you know, graduating high school soon, talk to us and we can see if you're a fit for our, our scholarship program, things like that. I'm seeing that way, way more. And it's definitely becoming more common, which is, you know, obviously really, really awesome to see. You know, I wish that had been around when, when I was at that point. But, you know, kind of coming along with that, you know, with anything, you know, have, injecting more money and having more industrialization, you know, there's always good and bad that comes with that. And I've definitely heard of different cases where, 
you know, they, they promise scholarships and they find out it's just like kind of, a you know, how private schools sometimes have like a basic kind of couple of thousand dollar scholarship they can throw anyone for anything. It's kind of like a, a discount thing. Sometimes it's like not an official team scholarships. You know, there's kind of weird language around things. It's a little bit tricky. So um, I definitely know some, some high school kids who are graduating that are kind of trying to navigate that and it can be a little bit tricky. Hmm. Would you say it's almost like shady type deal where you got to like really pay attention to the wording or is it you just got to be mindful of like what exactly sometimes, is in the contract? Sometimes for sure. I would definitely say it's shady where, hmm. I mean, I think it depends on if it's somebody officially from the college who's trying to contact people and do it where I think they're generally more on the up and up because they're putting like a name and reputation on it and they're working for the college and stuff. But then a lot of times there's, people running that type of program who don't know that much about the scene, don't know where to go. And so then they end up working with and talking to other third party people. And there's people out there who are trying to like gather a collection of good players who are interested in it. And then, you know, they don't officially work for colleges, but then they go and talk to the college and scholarship program saying, Hey, I know players, I can hook you up with people. And, you know, that's like adding in another middleman who's just trying to get deals done. And, you know, there's kind of less accountability there. And there's definitely some false promises being made just to get, kids to agree to things and then you know like they're promising kids things without having an official offer from university because they're talking to many different ones and then you know they're just trying to get something kind of signed in there and get something out of it so it the mileage definitely varies a lot depending on who you're kind of working with and there's not really i think an industry standard for that kind of thing which is kind of making it a bit of a you know a bit of a wild west situation yeah and you know what that just um made me remember one of the questions that I wanted to ask you and that'll lead to my next question. So did um was it was the scenario basically like you were already at the university and then you found out about the club and then you kind of like tried out for it? Yeah, deal? exactly. Exactly. I was just was had been there a couple of years. I I wasn't even when I first went to college my first year, I wasn't even particularly that that good at league. I think my second year I hit like plat for the first time or something. And then I just looked for the club just to join and meet some people. Um, and then I just found out for the team. I tried out. I ended up getting on it. And then I, I kind of uh, got a lot better over time being in a team environment with other good players, things like that. And it was kind of just a pure chance type of thing. I didn't even think about that existing at the beginning. And it was just something I was very lucky to kind of stumble into. Nice. What were the what were the tryouts like? How Describe that to me, because this is all a mystery, you know? With, uh, with the structure of how these things function? What, like, what did you have to do? Yeah, so um, the team, when at, at kind of the beginning of the year when I first joined the club, they're like, hey, we have a couple different teams we're going to be forming if you're interested in playing on some. Um, you know, put your name down for interest. And, and they kind of had different tiers. So they had like the main team, because at the time, uh, the main kind of circuit competed in was like CSL was one of the big ones. And you had, you had uh, each school could only put up like one they called it like a d1 team in terms of that tier that was just the highest level of competition and then they had many others below that that had different ranked ranges they had like a gold the plat league silver mm. gold stuff like that um so we had one kind of d1 team to fill in that top spot and then we had like three to five other teams in kind of different ranked ranges and so i initially just kind of signed up for um like one of the second or third ones because i wasn't super confident i wasn't really planning on doing anything and mm. it kind of turns out the the d1 team at that time was a continuation from the previous year and I think it was kind of easy to know who was on it, who wasn't, because there was, uh, even though the university I went to was like relatively small, I guess it was kind of lucky. We had three core players that year from the previous team that were, there was like a challenger player, a D1 player, and someone that was like a uh, diamond three or something. So it was like, they were clear head and shoulders above kind of everyone else in the club in terms of skill level. So that was kind of like the the starting of it. There wasn't like, we had 10 diamond players and we kind of had to figure out and create a system for figuring out who would be on it and who wouldn't. So they kind of ran the tryouts and kind of figured out the other two people they wanted to pull onto the team. And uh, they just kind of asked me if I wanted to try out because I happened, I was like high platinum at the time or something. I was kind of in that next kind of tier of skill level um, of players. There wasn't, wasn't that many that to fill out the roster. Um, and so I tried out for support initially for the team when I, I had gotten to like mid platinum, just only playing Phil. So I didn't even have a main role at that time. I kind of played everything. Um, and then I think uh, I tried out and just based on the other people involved, I think I was one of the better supports because it was a very underplayed role at the time and I was a fill player. And then also kind of just general, 
you know, getting along and communication, other things that are important for a team. That's kind of just how I ended up on there. Yeah. And so did they judge by like pure mechanics or, um, cause I'm curious, like we, we both played league of legends and I had the pleasure of playing with you at some point too. I'm, I was like, so I was so glad you actually remembered me. Cause I was like, damn, this guy's not going to remember me at all when I reach out to him. But, um, did they judge purely by mechanics or were they also focused on like how you would have synergy with say like their bot laner at the time? Like how did yeah. that work? At that point, it's I, they just didn't have the luxury of kind of worrying about too much else. I think it was probably just 80% mechanics yeah, because okay. it was like for their two roles, they probably had four or five even like reasonable people that could fill that in and not just have massive skill gaps and be a huge liability. You know, there just wasn't a lot to choose from. Um, so at that point, it's like you kind of just need to, when you're playing, especially for the league they're playing in, we're going to be playing against mostly diamond teams. It's kind of like you just need to hit a minimum bar of mechanics just to be able to play. If you can't just meet a minimum bar and you have people that are too far below it, then it doesn't matter kind of how good of a teammate they are in communication. It's just like you just can't really play the game if you're falling too far behind early and you just can't really, you know, your team strategy can be great. But if you're just losing leads and laning too hard, it's not going to help. So I don't think they really had a bunch of options. I think they just ended up with who they ended up with mostly because of mechanics. And I think. We were kind of fortunate. We kind of jived in terms of personalities and being good teammates and stuff like that. But since then, I have uh, been a part of creating many, many teams at that point. And, and later on, those kind of original players graduated and I kind of took over kind of leadership role on that team in my later years there. And, you know, if you have more options that meet in skill level, then we were definitely, definitely much more picky about, you know, individual laning synergy and team communication as a whole and even play styles in terms of who's better at carries or tanks and weak side and strong side and, and kind of crafting an actual proper team that fits together properly. And you might not know this, but I'm just kind of curious. Uh, do you know the type of stuff that they were looking for as far as like the mechanics? Like um, support is a little different because they're not worried about like CS, for example, but um, were they just kind of like looking at your vision score, like how you kind of maybe like how you roamed or something like do you know you know like how they were kind of judging you as you were trying out yeah i know one of the most important things and i'm not saying this is the best way at all but the the bot laner I was playing with was diamond one and um i know one of the more important things they were looking for is somebody that could be aggressive in lane because he was just happened to be a very very aggressive player he played a lot of Callista, lucian a lot of stuff at the time that was very aggressive and it doesn't matter if there was probably like another diamond one or diamond two support but if they played very passive or different play style he specifically would just lose his mind and not have fun or not focus or would just go crazy or yell at them or something you know so it's like we just got to make sure that they just like fit and he can play the land how he wants to play just so he can perform and you know have a carry role on that team and that was definitely something very important for him non-aggressive support would tilt the adc into the next game we, we get along great man that was my style aggressive support um, yeah, Tails oldest time. I. It's funny. I I was trying to recall like the champs you like to play because I think every time we played, I just like I was like, let him play support, man. He's like way better than me, and I would just like go do jungle or something. I think I remember you played like Bard at one point, and that was like one of my favorites, even though it was kind of like um, you know not not the meta pick, but uh, like like what were some of your like favorite supports that you play? I mean, some of my favorite supports are typically... I mean, I've been playing... I've swapped back and forth from support to AD carry many, like, four or five times over the last, you know, six years or so. So I'm kind of just, like, a bot lane specialist in general at this point. I hear, that, I hear that's kind of common, though. Although, like, ADC, I did not like playing, but it's, like, you have a feel for the lane, you know what I'm saying? And then you... It, it seems like I, a pretty common thing to do. I think it's hugely important. I wish it were more common, honestly. I, I originally... I only played support for a bit actually like six months at the beginning of that team and then i played ad carry for several years and then i started swapping back and forth depending on what the team needed so i think it helped a lot that i ended up hitting high diamond first on ad carry so that was the first role i was really good at and then when i swapped to support it helped i think playing ad carry and then becoming a support helps a ton for what the ad carry is looking for in lane that's something that's hugely important i think a lot of supports don't really know that well if they don't play ad carry because they're just not used 
do as much about you know wave manipulation management because they're usually unless they're like asked to help push or whatever they're usually not touching the wave that much in lower elos um same thing with trading patterns a lot of that type of stuff i think it helps a lot um and then some i I think it's easier for an AD carry to become a support than it is for a support to become an AD carry because a lot of players who only play support, they really struggle with a lot of like CSing and um, kind of prioritizing themselves in mid game situations in terms of like not showing up and doing team play all the time. Sometimes you need to be greedy and soak XP and farm and get ahead and, and different situations like that that are really kind of hard concepts to get from the support role if that's all that you played. So there's yeah. definitely many different elements between the both of them that. I wish players played both so they could understand better. Um, but yeah, players who play both, I think, have a huge advantage for sure. Cool. And um, just about practicing, um, what was that like? Like, how many days a week did you have to practice? Um, did you have to be, like, physically in attendance somewhere? Or did you just, like, sync up, you know, full remote, you know, wherever you were at? Like, what was that like? Yeah, at the time in school, and I think we took a pretty healthy approach to this um, because it's not like we had scholarship money on the line or anything like this. We, the team, you know, we created the team that we wanted to play with, and then we always said um, consistently the whole time we were there, you know, we are here as students first, and school is kind of number one. Like, obviously, we're passionate about this, and we want to do this, but if anybody kind of has scheduling issues or, or important tests or whatever, then we're always willing, you know, to cancel practices or, or spend less time on this or whatever because, you know, students first priority always for all of us. Um, so ideally beyond that, we had um, one or two game days a week and then we would try and get, I think we tried playing like four days a week. So I, if we had one game day, then three practices or sometimes we wouldn't play a day, but it would be like a VOD review day or something like that. But so I would say on average, it was on average, we were probably closer to three days a week. Because, you know, mm -hmm. just different scheduling and stuff. But a lot of times we tried to hit four. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not too bad. Um, did that, like, get in the way with any of your studies or anything? Or was that, like, a pretty, like, healthy balance? And, and like, and, and how long, I guess, were these um, kind of practice sessions? Were they just, like, a few hours or? Uh, yeah. Oh, and to previous question real quick. We didn't uh, typically meet up in person for practices or games. It was, we kind of just usually... Did our thing in our, our dorms or apartments or whatever and just kept it online we only met up for like club meetings which mm -hmm. is kind of separate from the team itself uh, but practices were typically um depending on if we do like warm-ups or vod reviews or not depending on schedule the the actual scrimmage itself is typically we would do a three block uh some teams want to do best of three so it could be two games if someone two o's but we, we usually looked for three games so that that ended up being on average two and a half to three hours because you know the game itself is maybe only 30 minutes on average but then there's like draft time and review time in between games and some of that other stuff that kind of extends things out yeah and i guess you mentioned um you were pretty close to what's above diamond master tier right uh, i am right now yeah and then i would say when i was in school um our team the highest peak we had was we had like one masters players then everyone else was kind of like mid-diamond average so not quite on that level and then since then um in kind of amateur teams and circuits i've been on some some higher teams with like you know d1 averages and stuff like that with some masters players here or there nice nice and um when you guys practiced this was this was something i i forgot to ask um did you just do like lex play at the time or um like, what was kind of, like, your scrims, you know, where you would actually get some team practice in? Yeah, so typically, uh, we would schedule scrims with specific teams. So either other university teams or um, even when we were competing in the university league, sometimes we would play in different amateur circuits as well in different tournaments. So we would use those kind of Discord servers. Most, most different leagues have kind of looking for scrim channels. So you kind of just end up with a collection of different Discord servers that you kind of post and look around in for different scrims from teams, either from, usually you go by kind of the league they're participating in to kind of get an idea of the average skill level of it. Um, and then, you know, you're looking at their kind of like multi, multis, like OP.GGs to see, you know, champ pool and, and rank level and stuff like that. And you're kind of finding stuff like that. We didn't, I know some teams uh, enjoy scrimming teams in the leagues they're playing in. Mm -hmm. That was not something we typically enjoyed doing. We liked kind of keeping that uh, to other teams that we weren't going to be playing. Um, so it kind of 
personal preference there, but uh, it was uh, we we didn't use Flex much except for a few years here and there, and that kind of really changed with how Riot has changed the Flex queue. There was a time we used Flex heavily. It's kind of an investment where it, it's really useless until you get to I think previously high diamond average flex rank. So we had to put in several weeks, you know, we didn't play a ton, but we had to put in several weeks of kind of grinding to get everyone's uh, rank up together to high diamond. And at that point, it actually became useful. This was probably four or five years ago right. um, because the the flex hue was not used super heavily. And if you're five manning, then you'd run it. And once you get to a very high MMR, then if you're five manning at a high MMR, you'll run into other five stacks at high MMR. And then we would run into commonly other college teams doing that as well, or other amateur teams. So it actually became useful at that point, once we put in the time to get there. But then they kind of keep changing flex queue in terms of how many people can queue, if it's, you know, uh, the algorithm for it and stuff like that. And it kind of fell off now. And I think it's really not used or that useful right now, at least for what we're yeah. doing. Yeah, and just to um, throw some details on that, like, you're right. So they, they have changed flex queue a lot in recent years. Um, it was at some point, I think it was like you had to be full five or you had to be three Q. And now even they were just like, it was based off of like your MMR. And now they're just like, it doesn't matter. It's just random. Like you could be like an all bronze team. And if you go up against like an all diamond team or something, you know, it sucks for you, man. Like whatever. <laughs> and that's like, that's how it is now. Um, I was going to, before I get to my next question, um did you actually like travel for events like how did these actual competitions work were they like for remote did you have like a um a shared location that you went did you like go to other universities how did that whole thing work yeah the, the vast majority of the, the when i say leagues i i typically mean that as kind of like a multi-month uh, like tournament style system and then if I say like tournaments or lands it's usually like a weekend type of thing it's a mm -hmm. two three day um, type of deal so most of the leagues that we participated in were almost exclusively online um, the the big ones were CSL ULOL which was the Riot Run one which that whole kind of system has changed a lot over the years so maybe we'll get into that um, and then uh, one of the big ones we played in was the MNLCS so being a college in Minnesota there was kind of a a state-run uh, LCS-type league with all the different colleges in Minnesota, which is very cool that we participated in. Um, so almost every big university in Minnesota put a team up. So we, there was like eight or ten teams participating in that league. Um, and that was online as well, except for I think the finals we did in person for a LAN. Um, so those were kind of the big leagues we played in that were online. And then most of the... Uh, not most, but a lot of the LANs we, we participated in were in person, and those were kind of more local ones that we would kind of drive to. We didn't, uh, we didn't fly anywhere. I don't think we would have gotten kind of budgeting or, or <laughs> refunds for that type of thing. Yeah. But we did get some like travel and hotel costs covered for different uh, lands that we could drive ourselves to. So those were a ton of fun as well. Nice. And I was going to say, was, was Clash out when you were participating in these things? Yeah. So that was... Um... That was, I guess, something relatively new that Riot implemented. And as I was saying, like, they kind of, like, threw flex to the wind. Now they have Clash, where that's the only strictly pre-made 5v5, where it has, like, the tournament-style brackets and everything that they, um, that they do. And I'm just going to share, like, one funny story <laughs> real quick with Clash. I never actually won like the uh, the Clash tournament I was in. The closest I came, it was a great run. I had a great team at the time, but it was a feels good loss at the end because it took the um, I'm pretty sure it was like the University of Stanford was the final team we went against, and that was the team that it took like the greater nerds of Stanford to shut us down and and like win that like final bracket, but um. Yeah, to you, I I think you were kind of going somewhere with um, the way the events or the uh, competitions were at some point. I'm just gonna kind of give you the floor on um, on anything that you wanted to talk about or any like you know fun experience you had with the team. Um, kind of floor is yours. Whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, I remember distinctly a lot of the 
uh, my like first three three years or whatever playing on the team, uh, I really enjoyed the experience of it, and kind of the vibe of it, and it's kind of. I mean, I'm sure this kind of be equated equated to any sort of sport or industry in terms of like, you know, it growing up as a whole and kind of inception to you know bigger business and money influx and, and that type of deal, you know. But I, I kind of think of it as like, uh, you know, when you have like friends starting a band and it's like, you guys, it's all run by you. You guys are doing your thing. You're going to local things. It's a, you know, it's difficult. You know, you're sleeping in random dirty places. You're making ends meet. You don't have money. It's a blast. You know, things like that versus you know. Uh, you know, a band hits it big, and then now there's money everywhere, and there's contracts, and it's like a different experience. And obviously, there's good and bad with that. And that's definitely just kind of a, a different vibe I've been seeing throughout it. Where when we were doing it, we, you know, we we went to a, a land of another college in the state we're in that, and you know, we had to we talked to a lot of the other teams we've been competing in. You know, we kind of you know shit talk back and forth. It's like, are you going to this? We're going to beat you. Uh, you know, we sh- we we drive there. We're all crammed in a car with our computers. We we like jam into a hotel room with more people than we're supposed to have. We're you know afterward we're struggling to get like reimbursement from the the college and have our receipts in order and make sure we have money covered. And, and we're there. And and the land tournament that we went to was, was like a mess at the beginning. I think there was like over a hundred people playing at one point, and they did not have the inter- internet infrastructure set up properly for it. Or uh-huh. <laughs> because there's so many people playing at the same time, they didn't have enough like ethernet ports and people were lagging off of Wi-Fi. We were playing a team, our very first game, and our top laner could not stay connected. He was lagging so badly. And they asked if we wanted to wait or do something else. And we were like, no, like we're tired of this. Just let us play 4v5, it'll be fine. Because we were beating him so badly. We're like, we just want to get through this. We, we, he just, our top laner was DC'd the entire rest of that game. And we mm. just beat him 4v5 and we finished and uh. moved on. And we had, to, we had to go a couple rounds deep until people started kind of falling out of the tournament and the internet kind of stabilized. Um, so that was, that was one of the more fun, memorable experiences. We ended up winning that one and we got like, uh, a bunch of Red Bull. We got like a free, like customized jersey. We got like no direct money. All different, different gear and stuff. I think, I think it's funny. I've probably probably won, you know, somewhere in between three and four thousand dollars of different things, and probably seventy to eighty percent of it is just like gaming gear <laughs> and and stuff that they give us from sponsors from the events. Because that's just kind of how things worked back then. Almost none of it was actual money, or, yeah. or you know, like skins from Riot or whatever. So it was just a different experience at that time, where it's like. It was just something that you do purely for fun with your buds, and it was like huge kind of struggles and bonding. And now it's like I'm not saying it's not like that; it definitely is. But there, there is definitely a lot of those different kind of college programs and recruiting. And it's like it's more of a job. You got to be here on the schedule. You got to practice these things. They have a coach. You got to make sure you're doing these kind of meta champs and playing this way. And you know, you have scholarship money on the line, and you have you know, different stream tournaments that you're in with big viewership and there's more pressure. And it's like, I, I love that stuff as well. I'm definitely not saying it's worse, but it's definitely obviously just changed a lot in, in that kind of time, even just the last four or five years. And it's kind of, it's really interesting to watch and kind of uh, see the progression of it. And it's something that at least right now, I'm glad there's both elements of it. And I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if that's going to go one way or the other or, you know, how that's going to keep changing, especially with it being kind of a, something based around video games, something that's more volatile and, you know, something that changes more with new games coming out or different trends in the industry and stuff. Yeah, and one thing I actually, something you mentioned there kind of brought this up or uh, electrified my brain here is, uh, I'm, and I want to assume, but did, you, did your university actually have an official coach or was it just kind of like the players just... Yeah, it was just the players just kind of doing it themselves and just figuring it out, right? Yeah, it was all completely run by the people on the team. I mean, if they had said, we have a coach for you, we probably would have just rejected it because there's no way they would have found anyone who is qualified and would be able to add anything of value um, because they don't know anything about it. And I doubt they're going to shell out money to get somebody who does know anything about it. So it was something that we never really thought of or relied on from them or or counted on in any way. It was totally player-driven and run. Who would you say amongst your team was kind of like filled that head coach role and who is like the shot caller on your team? Uh, I mean, we went through a couple different iterations of it. And, you know, whenever you add or, or remove a couple people here and there, it changes communication a lot. I think for the first couple of years when we were a bit more successful, I was the AD carry and shot caller at the time. 
mm-hmm. just because of the team personalities where um, I generally had a better sense of kind of macro and, and shot calling in terms of game knowledge, but I'm not like the most, uh, I just don't, I don't like shouting over people. Like if there's a lot of chatter and stuff, I'll generally take a communication backseat. Like if there's many people talking, it's too cluttered. I'm yeah. just not going to add another voice in and I don't want to shout over people. So it kind of worked out at that point because we had more quiet people. So they kind of mm. gave me room to speak and they listened. And so it worked out well. Um, but I mean, also shot calling from the AD carry role, I feel like it's not ideal either because uh, especially early game, you're, you have no proactivity or agency really as an AD carry. Most of that's on you know jungle mid support. So ideally they're yeah. controlling kind of the flow of the game more. Yep. Uh, and have a bigger say in that. And so it's it's hard, like when you're AD carrying sitting in lane, you're CSing and training more. It's hard to, you know, try and micromanage someone and tell them where they should be going at the same time. It's I don't think it's the most efficient thing. Um so that worked out well for us at that point. But then later we had some people come in and kind of comms got a bit louder and more cluttered. So I kind of stopped shot calling just so I could focus more on my individual playing mechanics because I think I felt like it was not ideal as AD carry and I was kind of struggling to kind of take control of kind of the communication because we had more people uh, being louder and that's just not my natural communication style. It's like, I'll say something and if we listen, that's great. But if we don't, I'm not going to force it. Um, so then that kind of shifted into uh, more of like our, our mid laners role at that time. So things definitely kind of adapt over time. And I think it should be that way just because there's so many different kinds of players who play different ways and you can't, some people just talk a lot. Some people don't talk at all. And some you just somebody who isn't comfortable talking, you can't make them be a shot caller or, or talk if even if maybe they do know what's best or something. So it's kind of like a, a jigsaw puzzle every time you have a new team figuring out the best way for you guys to communicate and work on things. And that's definitely something we've gotten better at. We're at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Shot calling was like this ambiguous, magical word of somebody who just knew everything. And everything was supposed to, at that time, like high was really big, you know, and it's like, He's the genius shot caller. He just tells everyone what to do, and people really believe that. And that's kind of a ridiculous notion now, where you you should not have one person micromanaging everybody and telling them what to do. Like an ideal team situation is everybody has good, well-rounded game knowledge, and everybody should know what they're doing individually. And then shot calling is really just good communication to make sure that everybody's on the same page. You shouldn't have to tell people what to do because they don't understand it. That's just kind of like a fault and a gap in people's knowledge. Uh, ideally, you want everyone to know, you know, if you're going to bait Baron and you're going to pull off it or you're going to have someone zone them and finish it, you know, you're going to hold at a certain health amount and bait a fight out of it, all these things, you shouldn't have to explain that. Everybody on the team should know what all those different scenarios are ahead of time. And your shot caller just says, we're doing this. And then everybody knows what this is. And it's just getting five people on the same page is what it should be, I think. And since then, we've gotten, the teams I've been on have been a lot better about that in terms of we've broken up different shot calling where like early game, you know, jungler talks more maybe and then that when it transitions to mid game then kind of with rotations one of the carries can take over depending on who's strong and stuff like that and you have people who have different responsibilities in dragon control or baron fights or sieging or things like that and it's much more it's much more uh well understood now than back then i think yeah and you know what what you said makes a lot of sense because i even look at professional teams and they're um when they do their kind of like highlights everyone is like talking at the same time in team fights it's almost like everyone's like shouting out like targets and things but to your point it, it's not so much like you're silencing everyone but there is like that one guy where when like when he makes the call like that's what you do you know what i'm saying like and i i think that's pretty spot on and i was kind of like jotting down here on my notes before i forgot a second time of the next next thing i wanted to ask you um, since you guys did not have like a natural coach, like a, an official coach role, would you say it is, um, and this is like a very interesting thing I just thought of, like, would you say it is better to just have a natural team synergy where just like, you've got this main voice that's just respected and, and heard and that guy's a shot caller and, um, maybe that's the guy that's leading your drafts and, and everything else. Versus having like an official coach, because, you know, if you look at college versus like pro, if you follow like, you know, League of Legends or anything else, they have like, you know, they're like, um, what is it? Like their strategy coach that, you know, in League, they'll do your drafts and then they'll have like their like psycho, um, psychological coach or something that kind of just like focuses on like the mental, <laughs> I guess the mental of the players, things like that. 
like what's your take on that like how did you guys fare without having that you know like structured system and would you say that you know just in your own personal opinion is it better or worse than having some guy like telling you what to do you know as far as like what you gotta pick you know and things like that yeah i I think in an absolutely ideal scenario having a coach as an outside voice and kind of like overall ruler is much more efficient for managing these kind of things and making decisions Mm -hmm. the it's just very difficult to implement in reality because it's very easy i think for you know when you have high level league players on teams it's very easy for them to have trust issues with a coach because just the nature of how coaching is right now it is not a well-defined role it's not something that there's a lot of credibility or education to like if you have people who say they're a coach it's like what does that mean like sometimes it's like all right you're gold and that's a problem for a lot of players because they're lower ranked than them and they feel like they don't respect them because of that or it's like all right you're a coach because you spent two years coaching this other team and it's like what does that mean is that did you earn that off barrett and did you help them improve or is this just some friends that you had and you were working with what's your level of involvement it's like it's really impossible if somebody comes to you as a coach except for very specific circumstances it's really really hard to know if they know what they're talking about and what level of impact they had and how much responsibility they should have and you know if you can trust them with that type of thing or not and you know getting five people on a team on board with that can be very hard like especially in league where you just have people disagreeing about what the best thing is to do all the time you know i ideally you just have a coach say this is it and if everyone trusts him then like that's much faster that's kind of the end of it yeah. and you're moving on and you have it on the same page but that is just not the reality of the situation i think that because we didn't have anyone like that, we had to kind of go a different route that is maybe not more efficient, but we just had to do to make work for us, where we spent a lot of time after games discussing and going over the VODs and the situations and talking about it. And we, when we did our VOD reviews, we, had, we made sure we had like very in-depth, full five-man, everyone together conversations on this is the situation we were in, this is how we did it, what were all our alternatives, what do we think would be better for next time. And then we had to talk through these things, and it took a long time. Like some, We would spend hours on one stupid situation. It's like, we could have done these three different things. I think this would have been better. We did this. It didn't work because of this. Is that just a mechanical problem or is the macro idea of it still correct and we should just execute it better next time? And we just had to talk those things out and be good teammates and communicate well and make sure we all agreed at the end of it. Because the important thing for that is all these situations and mistakes you run into, whether you mess up a dragon or a team fight or something, it's like you will guaranteed run into that same situation again the next time. It will happen again. And if you had a problem here, you need to make sure that everyone is on the same page afterward of what we're going to do next time to fix it for next time. And it's, it's, just, it's a problem if you have someone say, we're going to do this next time, and three people agree and two people disagree. And then next time that happens, you don't have full buy-in from everybody. And, you know, it's not going to go well. And it's something that because we didn't have that person that we trusted that everyone could go along with, we just spent a lot of time talking about it and coming to agreements on it. And it was just like a very very complicated kind of interpersonal conversation that happened a lot of the time. Yeah. And I know you spent a lot of time talking about like League of Legends specifically, because obviously that's what you had played and that's what I had played. So yeah, like it's, it's been, it's been a good discussion. Um, have you played anything else just by happenstance, um, other than League that was kind of like in a, um, at the same level of even just like club or anything else for competition? Um, so not competition wise, I would say, I mean, I've played plenty of other games at high levels in terms of online ladder rankings. You know, I played mm-hmm. Here's the Storm and I got like the highest rank for that. I got Legend of Hearthstone. Um, you know, I bounce between games and I play them for long enough to get to a certain rank level. And, and, you know, I always end up kind of coming back to League as my competitive game. Yeah. So I play games at high levels, but I, I haven't really dabbled too much into actual team competition in other games beyond league yeah and i'm trying to um as we're coming up on like close to an hour i'm just trying to kind of give a more higher view of esports and not specifically league um but i feel like with esports there's only so many games that are at such a global level and at such a high level and um you know one thing i mentioned at the beginning and i'm gonna have to look at my notes here because honestly like i i have even heard of this game and it's kind of sad because 
it's like the number one you know viewed esport so um free fire world series this was a huge this was a mobile game right and this was insane to me because similar to how you have like this league of legends set up where you all sit down like the team sits down in front of the like the computers they legit have a have a phone in front of them and they're playing on a phone and that is so absolutely mind-blowing for me you know and i i 100 understand it with um kind of like the market value of it because like that's a huge huge market in asia and even you know companies in the united states specifically say like blizzard they're trying to get into that market and you know like many others i'm sure um because i kind of get it like everyone has a phone right like everyone's gonna have a phone already you don't need to buy a rig to play a certain game your phone could handle it so like i totally understand you know um you know the upside of it but to me as like kind of like you know the old man gamer over here i'm just like damn dude like really mobile games like i can't get <laughs> i can't get behind it myself but i totally get it you know it's it's kind of hard to kind of like reel back and like you know include other games because that's kind of like what the reality is is there's kind of like a small sampling of games that have gotten to the global level and are at that high point would you agree with that mark you know with league of legends and whatever else is like the big deal like globally yeah yeah absolutely i mean esports is undeniably huge interest wise and there's people that you know list different you know things to credit or discredit that in terms of like it has so many advantages with you know it not being so regional like nfl pretty much only america um you know other uh, you know, other most traditional sports, they have, you know, broadcast deals for TV networks that kind of limits who can watch it and who can't, where, you know, esports for the most part is like global video games are mostly accessible anywhere. And most of them are streamed on, you know, free to watch uh, streaming platforms. So anybody can watch it. So that, you know, some people say that inflates the numbers, but other people say, hey, look, that's still just a measure of how many people are interested in it. And it is huge. And, you know, all these venues are being sold out. Um, so I think the interest there is, is undeniable and the growth there. And kind of the there's I I feel like there's an interesting crossroads between like just gaming as an industry on its own and then esports, which is you know kind of a little bit to the side of it. Where you know what you're talking about, I feel like gaming as an industry is moving towards what you're talking about in terms of accessibility and just capturing more more users. Where you know mobile gaming is huge because like you said, everybody just has a phone. It's easier to get into. It's more casual. Um, you know, people are really leaning on that for the microtransactions and the free to play and you can get more people just on it for advertising. Um, and then that's kind of, I feel like, a bit at a confrontation with esports, which is at its core more of a, a hardcore niche for people. You know, it's like the average guy who's playing a phone game a couple hours a week, I think, isn't really going to care for that high level of competition. So it's interesting that it's like that's trying to be merged in some ways and it's trying to not, where, you know, esports is, you know, for more hardcore gamers, so there's only so much of a market for it. And it's still, I think, obviously, you know, worth spending time and money into. But then, you know, just gaming companies as a whole are just like, how do we get more casual people involved and more money that way? So there's there's some interesting mixes with that, like what what you're talking about with Free Fire and other kind of more casual games, but there are competitive scenes and that maybe most of the users don't care about it, but it's still a useful marketing tool to get more people aware of it and then onto that game and things like that. So the the mixing of that is still i think very very new and kind of exciting to see where that's going with that um along with kind of just which games are involved with esports like you're saying because it is a very limited subset of games as a whole that are even involved with that type of thing i think uh you know over the past decade or so i feel like the general rule of thumb is like you get one actual esport game per genre except for like the two or three biggest genres currently where maybe you have two or three where you know like right most recently it was like you know, Battle Royale and FPSs are pretty big. So, you know, for Battle Royale, there was like PUBG and Fortnite and stuff. And then for FPSs, there's now like CSGO and Valorant kind of competing with them. But then for like smaller genres like RTSs, there's kind of just StarCraft right now. You know, that's kind of like a dying genre. Um, you know, MOBAs Feels bad, still... man. Feels bad with the RTS genre. That was like one of my favorites, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And And now with MOBAs, there's Dota and League pretty much exclusively. There was more before when it was bigger and now it's kind of on the downswing. And, you know, with... A bunch of the other small like with card games there's pretty much just hearthstone right that's 
you know, a large genre because it's more accessible, like we're talking about, but it's, um, yeah. you know, I, typically it seems like you get one main esport ready game per genre because if you're in that genre, most players experiment with the other ones within it and they kind of gravitate towards what's considered the best or the most popular at the time. And so, you know, for the, the more hardcore people, and they just kind of gravitate and all kind of localize within whatever is the most competitive and most esport ready of the games within that genre is how I, I feel like it kind of goes. Yeah, I mean, and to your to your point, um, it, it is really like what game is just doing the best overall is what you're going to have the most success with at at like you know the biggest stage. Um, you kind of mentioned Hearthstone, and I feel like the only the only competition at Hearthstone would be like Magic the Gathering, you know. And that's not to say Magic the Gathering is still going strong with their competitions or anything like that, but there is um. You know, like you said, like I, I could not listen to their card game. I did not personally enjoy like the League of Legends card game variant of it. Um, I think Riot needs to scrap literally everything up, like everything else, and just give me my MMO. Just give me my MMO, and we can all be happy because like all these other games that they're doing, I'm like, just scrap them and just stop wasting time because um, I'd love an MMO from Riot, but. Yeah, um, I'm super hyped for their MMO yeah, as well. I mean, obviously yeah. they have other games doing well, like Valorant's doing well and other stuff. But yes, I am eagerly anticipating the the right MMO as well. But that's probably so many years out, man. I don't want to get my hopes up. Right, right. Um, you know, just us talking and just like me, just just being completely completely honest, I'm like kind of ignorant to some of these other realms, like um, first person shooter things like that. Um, you said Valorant is actually doing pretty well. You know, like what else is in kind of like the first person shooter category that they would be competing against? I mean, there's uh, the console ones like Call of Duty's been around a long time. Call of Duty, not, like, yeah. the, the biggest competitive scene ever. But I, I, there's Overwatch, of course, as well, which is very kind of, I feel like, mixed results on that one where viewership has been flagging for a little while now. But because the Overwatch League was so. Uh, heavily developed and invested in it's like the size of it is undeniably huge you know despite you know some people say you know dying viewership or not you know that one's kind of mixed results um but fps's in general i feel like kind of get really sectioned out into different things between like you know battle royales and like the tactical shooters which is like the csgo and then you have kind of the more you know team-based shooters and you know shooters as a whole can really be sectioned out many different ways and it's kind of uh you know the genre as a whole is so huge because of it but you know, yeah. it, it segments out pretty far, I think. Yeah. I, I don't want to, like, talk shit about Heroes of the Storm, but I could very easily see, like, a high... um, Like, a high-caliber league player just crushing everyone in Heroes of the Storm. Because it's, it's a watered-down MOBA. Like, let's just be honest with it. Like, that's what it is. Like, I don't mean to talk shit about the game, but, like, that's what it is. No, no, and, that, that absolutely happened, which yeah. I experienced firsthand, right? I played it for fun because my girlfriend at the time moved over to it as like her main game she competed at a pretty high level and i was just playing for fun to check it out and i very very quickly and easily um they had a ranking system differently at the time i hit rank one not like actual rank one but like yeah. the the highest rank possible uh without i felt like mastering the game very much or, or no just because the player base was small and the player base was people that were not super experienced mobile players because it was kind of an in-between in terms of like how casual and competitive it was it was definitely on the more casual side just with how team experience and gameplay was and the mechanics of it it was a bit easier to get into and there's plenty of examples of x league pros going into hot like azuna i don't know if you remember him from uh, xtg and vulcan uh when he retired from league he was he became a heroes of the storm pro for years mm -hmm. and and was sex successful and other Probably others have quite easy for him right yeah yeah <laughs> exactly it was, it was definitely easier yeah because <laughs> i mean if you think about it, people who are already good at, at league or dota you know the yeah. more difficult hardcore ones it's like there's no reason to make that transition and so the player base of here the storm was just more casual more inexperienced with the genre as a whole yeah yeah i'm kind of glad we touched on on this topic honestly because really when you're talking about esports as, as a whole you're you're kind of bottleneck right because if if you want to talk about realistic expectations you have to play what is the you know the new hotness of game at the time right like if league of legends was not like a um 
a popular game, obviously no one would care enough to have like a team around it, you know, for for college level. So that definitely goes into it. And I'm kind of sad that no one has like a big time RTS at this point. That's such I I'm really like I'm actually sad that you brought that up. That's like a really cool genre. The closest thing I could come to with RTS for like um for like kind of competitive play is Total War Warhammer. But that's just only like a small portion of the game because it's like a lot of map based strategy as well on top of the kind of you know rts uh specific play of it where you're you know controlling the armies and and things like that but um yeah i mean i'll say something that you know rts is i don't want to say a dead genre but it's it's on the smaller end as sad as that is yes <laughs> <I know. laughs> but something with esports as a whole and collegiate esports and team-based stuff getting bigger is it is awesome that it's not just now like the top one or two games that have anything going on there's so many more opportunities for a lot of the smaller games like rocket league smash uh you know a bunch of other things that were previously too small to have any sort of scene or investment in it are now kind of being brought into the light a bit and having more opportunities to compete and have teams formed and, and people in college who are passionate about that being involved and that's that's really really awesome that now it's like you're not if you want to do that sort of thing or have that sort of community feel at, at university you don't have to only play like what was the top two games at the time and now it's like as long as it's something that's you know has a reasonable player base you i think you can find what you're looking for in most types of games which is really really awesome yeah it, it definitely leaves the door open like you said for um if you've got a genre specifically that's not that's really lacking in games you know all it takes is like some you know, quality production team to come out with something, and there you go. You know, like you take Fortnite example. Like, where the hell did Fortnite come from? You know, <laughs> like that came out of like that came out of nowhere, and now it's like you know the the premier one of the premier like first person shooter kind of competitive games. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a good topic to end on, man. We only got so many games to talk about when we're talking about global scale esports but uh we definitely covered you know um a lot of legitimacy for esports and is there um is there anything that you would like to bring up before we wrap up just any um any other random notes you had or or um or stories that you'd like to like to share um i guess the only other thing i guess i forgot to mention is kind of it, it's it's cool seeing my I guess I talked about my experience at the with the university team when I was there, even just you know twenty uh, fifteen through eighteen. But even since then, you know, keeping in touch with people who are still there and in the club and stuff, it's changed so much. Even there now, where they're not the biggest university, I they don't have the most funding, things like that. But since I left, they have now an officially recognized team. They have an entire uh, like office area with like glass walls with all the production esports. Nice on it they have all the the pcs and gear put in there they have a team with jerseys they have uh production they have live streams with very good production and casting and stuff and it's it's come a long way even even there which is not like you know one of the one of the largest or most well-funded universities in the country so i'm you know from that and a couple other people in university i've been in contact with things are kind of progressing everywhere which is you know awesome to see and, and you know a little bit sad i missed out on it but it, what i did when i was there was still super fun yeah, man, that's what's important, you know, as long as you had fun. And um, I don't know what your ambitions were. Were like, did you just kind of join up for fun or did you like hope to be, you know, kind of like a professional, um, you know, at League of Legends or any other like type of esports? No, I never really had aspirations for that. I mean, if obviously, you know, I wanted it to happen, like that would have been great. But I don't think I ever really fully believed that I could or, or you know, specifically tried for it necessarily. Mostly just just for fun for me, something I enjoy doing and still enjoy doing to this day. I still, you know, play on on teams and compete in it just for the camaraderie and, and the competition of it. Because you know, phys I played a lot of physical organized team sports when I was younger, and that's kind of way more difficult to do when you're an adult now. So it kind of fills that kind of competitive need for me and that kind of drive to to improve and compete. Yeah, one hundred percent. Well, hey man, I'm glad you had a great time there, and. Um... Just to our whole point on how much esports has grown, to your point, it's, um, you know, not to talk shit about Minnesota State or anything, but obviously uh, not 
um, you know, a large university in comparison to the largest of universities that are out there in the United States. And they've already got, like you said, you know, a nice facility, like nice specific place for the team to compete. They got their own jerseys, sponsorships, all that. And just, you know, it's come so far in just a few years. And, you know, as I said about the beginning, like it's not going away. Like this is, this is going to be going into the future. It's not going anywhere as long as, I guess, assuming that, um, you know, new games are going to continue to be uh, produced and that the entire, you know, gaming industry doesn't just go under, you know, I feel like there is a bright future for, um, for esports and it, you know, to continue this trend. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I expect nothing but growth and success and I'm just looking forward to seeing, seeing where it goes and kind of being a, being a spectator as I, you know, get older and my hands lose all of their mechanics. <laughs> right. Dude, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've already experienced that, you know, don't worry about it. You got to play the low mechanical champions. That's how, she, that's how you combat age, you know what I'm saying? No, no yeah, high mechanical exactly. stuff. <laughs> but when, hey. I'm, when I'm 50, it's Garen only. Right, there you go. There you go, man. That's what I hope for. I hope to be playing until I'm like 80 years old, still, you know, dumpstering kids on like these like low mechanical champions. Hey, hey man, macro play goes a long way. You know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, hey, Mark, it's been uh, Mark Wicklebear. It's been it's been great, man. I, I I greatly appreciate you coming on and uh, having this awesome conversation with me. To all the listeners out there, um, let us know what your um, what your favorite games are. You know, in the esports community, if you're a League of Legends player, flex your representation in the comments. And until the next one. Yeah, man.